and the diligence that it takes to fight against the world and the flesh and the devil. And that is a constant fight and it takes diligence. And it's not without some losses. And, but I do know that we will be judged one day. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive in our bodies both good, and the word in the Greek is empty. It's not sin. I understand, as any mature Christian would, older Christian would, that sin was paid for on the cross of Christ. It's done away with. It's as far as the east is from the west. It's been cast into the depths of the sea. God will remember it no more. Why? Because of the sufferings of Christ. That will not be revisited in my life or any Christian's life. Hello, my dear listeners. You are listening to That They Might Know a podcast devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Today we're going to be talking to a person named Ehab Hoffman, good friend of mine, dear brother, and a, a person with a testimony. So, dear brother Ehab, tell me... Well, first of all, introduce yourself. My name is Josetis Ehab. I am half Egyptian from my mother's side who was born in Cairo and half Greek from my father's side. I was raised in a Greek Orthodox household. My mother from her first marriage converted from Islam to be a Coptic Christian but didn't much profess her faith in the household until she met my father. They met together, were separated, and I was raised in my father's household in which I was taught the traditions of the Greek Orthodox Church and the priesthood, and I even was ceremoniously ordained as an altar boy for about 10 years where I stood by the priest's side and had to recite many prayers and follow those traditions for 10 years. That was my first experience in the so-called church, and since then, I actually came back to the church after seven years of being away when I first heard the gospel. Is that it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> let, let me hear the whole uh, uh, you know, synopsis of your conversion experience. So we're in 2019, and in 2014, my mother grew sick with stage one lung cancer, I didn't consider that it would grow worse, but it did. And by the time it grew worse, it was at stage four, which would lead to death eventually. So in this time, I thought about life and suffering for each person. Not the question as to why people suffer, but in the ways in which people suffer. Some worse than others, some more often than others. And... As I saw my mother suffering for at least two years, very severely, the last two years of her life, a man who I was working with at the time told me about his hope in suffering in his own personal life. Not knowing he was a Christian, he started to share more and after a little while started to open the Bible to me and ask me questions about my own life and think about personal suffering that I've endured 
At this time, I told him that my mother was sick from cancer. It's grown worse. She may die from it. So he decided to join me in time of praying and time of reading scripture and eventually to meet my mother and actually talk to her about Christ. And that was the first experience I heard of someone saying that their hope was not just in this life, but also for the life to come. And as I watched him and my mother speak, she seemed to engage with him more readily as she thought about her latter days and I listened. I still had not yet professed myself a Christian, but my mother at this time was. And before she passed, I had the experience to see both this man and a group of other Christian men from the church that I had started to visit come and sing hymns to my mother while she was on the bed that she would die on just a few days later. This provoked me in many ways, made me think about life after death in a very immediate way. And with those last three days that she was breathing, I turned my heart to scripture and thought very seriously about my own life and whether I would be in the presence of God. My mother believed that she would be. And before my mother passed, she actually recited Psalm 23, which it starts, as you know, but as it ends was the only part I really considered, which was the last verse. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And my mother saying those words and having believed them was, I would say, in part what God used to bring me to himself. Well, Ahab, uh, I guess all of life is a great experience. And what I'd like you to think about right now is three big changes that have come about in your life since becoming a Christian. First immediate change is just love. I would have always considered myself somebody who cared for people, but I knew my love was selfish. I knew my love was temporal. I knew my love didn't have very great strength. So if I had a hardship with a relative or a person I was in a relationship with or even just a friend or a coworker, I knew to a certain extent that I would love a person. In coming to know Christ, I know that there's a greater love that can be experienced between fellow brothers, and also just between our enemies, in which Jesus commands us to love. That would be the first change in knowing what it means to actually love another person as God intends, to love my neighbor as myself. Another change would be the course of my life turned from drunkenness and immorality and theft and lying and blasphemy and all kinds of other lawless things that I did. And the, the Lord has turned my heart to things that bring life and not death and giving me a joy and a peace and in ways that I've been sanctified in my life that it wasn't by the power of man or man's words that I was able to turn to Christ, but rather by his words and proving to me that they have true power to give man the desires that he was created to have. Uh, another change would also have to be humility. I think above all things, before I was a Christian, uh, 
the the greatest enemy of my life was pride and always thinking myself above others and thinking myself greater than others and even thinking myself more respected or more deserving respect than others and in knowing Christ and his humility and being the very God man himself and he humbled himself to not only live as a man but to die even on a cross I've grown and still am growing in humility to understand even being a son to God or even being a servant to him as a king that humility is something for the rest of my life that I'll continue to grow in you know the day came around when Jesus when he was walking on the earth uh, you know he was always confronted or confronting religious men of his day and one, one day you know the story a religious leader come up to him and said uh, so Lord what's the what's, what's the great commandment you know, and he says, what's the most important thing? And Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, heart, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Most of the time when I hear testimonies, I've given testimonies, you know, we as Christians, we talk about the commandments. We talk about sins. Um, but let me ask you this. Since becoming a Christian, what was your non relationship with God like and how has that changed after how is how do you relate to God now as I said in the beginning being in the church for 10 years as an altar boy I was certainly exposed to religion and traditions um, but not faith in Christ not a relationship with him not something that was living and active but something that by dead works you show and profess to do that God may in some way be pleased with you. And I would have said, as one who was not yet a Christian, I believed in God, I believed he existed, and he was a good being, but not personal. He was not active within the world he created. He created it, and he put it into the hands of men to do with it what they pleased, and he just took oversight over all their actions. Yet when I heard the gospel, and understood that Christ came and dwelled in this world, and to bring us to God himself, I started to understand that I had personal accountability to God, and that God has not only just seen all of my actions, but indeed intends to judge them if I didn't repent of them. And knowing that Christ rose from the dead, and to him was given the power to judge the living and the dead, I knew then it was... Uh, it would behoove me not to repent and believe in him because even though he's God and his authority is over all things, he has a day where he is fixed when he will judge the world. And so when I heard the gospel, knowing that without repentance, I wouldn't be saved without faith in Christ, I would be judged. My heart turned to understand that God actively and very presently is working in this world both for good uh, for the sinner, and both for judgment for those who do not repent. So, again, just to emphasize this, your relationship with God now looks like what? So before, in the church, absent, without relationship, yet having a knowledge of God being a creator and self-existent, now, knowing that God is not a judge, 
to me, but he's been a savior to me in Christ, and he's also become a father to me, and I've become one of his children. And besides all of this, knowing that my relationship with God is inseparable because of Christ reconciling me to God himself by what he did for me on the cross. And so through that relationship, and not just having knowledge of God, I've grown to love God and to understand him as a being who daily participates in my life and daily reveals himself to me and what he's like and what he expects from me. And the God who I don't have to fear judgment from, but I do need to revere because he is still the same God that I did not believe in then who will still judge. And even still, I'm more sober-minded that I am just as accountable knowing what I ought to do as a Christian and sometimes can understand that doing things as a Christian does not give me any room for God to give me any more grace if he intended to. So, yeah, let me put you on the spot. (laughs) Are you saying that God talks to you? (laughs) I am saying that. I am saying that. that, How does that happen, brother? (laughs) Well, the, the church I was invited to, it was a church that preached the gospel, that preached faith in Christ without works. But that same gospel had an effect on my life in such a way that I knew it wasn't just a message, but it was something that for many years, through many prophets, through many generations, had been proclaimed in part that a coming Messiah would be the savior of the world's sins, and he would suffer in their place, and they would have relationship with God as intended in the beginning with Adam and Eve. So it was more than just hearing the message of the gospel. It was hearing the prophets and the priests and the forefathers And from the time of Moses, knowing who God was since the beginning to them and who he still is to this day and how he spoke to them in their times and many of those times in being very audible relationships where God spoke, called by name and commanded to go such and such a place, but always revealed himself through the word and through the prophets, as they would say, the word of the Lord came to me. So anytime I'm reading scripture, as I'm praying and seeking God for leading in my life or just questions that I may have of him in his scripture, he's revealed everything to us so that we can speak one to another, him to us and us to him. So I'm going to ask you now a question that kind of revolves around your relationship to the church. I'm saying the church. What uh, what do you love about the church? And you can feel free to explain your thinking or definition of the church. Being a only son of two parents who weren't married and who did not live together and who I hardly saw in the same room was a time where I knew that being an orphan was not something that I felt uncommon to in my life. And so in coming to Christ and seeing this family for the first time and seeing this love between what I thought were strangers and calling each other brother, sister, mother, father. It was the first example I saw of a family when I came into the church. What I love about the church is that God has brought sons and daughters 
to be his own children and to be in relation with one another, not just here, but after this life. In trying to explain what the church is, I would say the church consists of Christians who have repented of sin, who have put their faith in Christ alone and his work on the cross for them. The church is a place in which there may be many differences of many things, but similarities in those things that bring us to salvation in who Christ is as Lord, that he is fully God. The church is a household in which people obey God's commands not just out of obligation, but out of love for one another, to see it lived out amongst themselves and also before God. And I would say the church is a household in which people worship God in truth and spirit. And by truth and spirit, I mean as God's revealed himself in Scripture, that there's order in worship, that there's not confusion about certain gifts given to people in which they may lead with, whether they be a musician or whether they be a preacher, and especially in which there is unity. It oftentimes seems that when I've visited churches, besides the one I was first invited to, that there are so many differences in the church that not too many similarities are expressed. And so a church that has unity with the gospel and what it commands us, but then also what it commands us as believers to go and preach the same gospel. That's also been a a joy for me to see in a church in which they don't just hear the gospel, but they act upon it, they live by it, and then they share this same gospel with others. And the church that I started going to was an example of that in many ways. And besides the differences in which they had amongst themselves, I would consider that church part of the church. So <clears throat> you've already touched on the fact that there's a fracturing or divisions in the church in the church and church as a whole we're talking about in, in general but uh, I kind of want you to touch on maybe three problems that you've seen in the church since becoming a Christian you've been a Christian since how long 2014 so 14. five years this year and actually even this month was the time I started hearing the gospel for the first time five years ago in October of 2014. Well, it's now November. Uh, so just five years ago, hearing the gospel for the first time, between now and then, I would say the things I've seen within the church, and I may also be a part of this, is personal accountability to God is important, but also immediate accountability with others. I see that that may be lacking in a lot of people's lives. It did in mine for a little while. In thinking to myself that as long as I confess sin to God or disobedience of my own, he'll be pleased to justify me and he'll be faithful to forgive me, yet not taking it to another person because of shame, because of guilt, or just being exposed to a larger group in the church or the church as a whole. I think that is a need in the church today and it is lacking in the church is accountability one to another so that we can be more transparent and humble and we can bring those things in the darkness just between God and ourselves to the church so that it may be revealed to others as well and brought to the light. A second thing I would say may have to do with preaching and by that I would say 
there are many doctrines in the church that we would all say yes and amen to, but yet there are questions about how some of the principles of our Christian faith are to be lived out. That may be in how to plant a church and missiology. What are we supposed to do when we go into another country? What do we teach people who are to be disciples of Christ? It may have to do with eschatology. What should we expect about the end and things like this? And I think the reason I mention this in preaching, sometimes it can be, it can cause division if we hear someone preaching such and such eschatology or missiology or whatever it might be from the pulpit and not believe in what they're preaching, but yet adopt that because of our own lack of reading scripture. And I think there's a naivety in the church and there's a lacking of true devotion and meditation on scripture so that we don't just accept any given teaching from the pulpit that might have to do with such things as I said, with planting churches or the time of the end. And another thing I would say that I've experienced in my own life is also has to do with the leadership, but what does it mean to submit to authority in the church? Who is our authority? What authority do they have? What do I need to do to submit? I think there might be a misunderstanding amongst many of us and even myself at times. What does it mean for me to submit to church authority? And how far do I go to submit to authority that I may not agree with from Scripture, not just from subjective opinion, but from Scripture? How the church is being led and what's being taught, and what decisions are being made within it. I think these are important things to discuss. Okay, and lastly, before we uh, open it up to you for any questions or thoughts, um, any forecasts for your future goals, hopes, dreams? So I haven't finished school, and one of the things I'd like to do is to go to school for ministry, not necessarily a seminary, but a school in which can provide theological teaching and training in which I can have a foundation from which to build on for future ministry, probably in a country in the Middle East. And being half Arab, I have many relationships with Muslims and Middle Eastern people groups, and I've found that I have a very easy way to walk into relationships with them just from having the same ethnicity or the same physical features. And so I did visit uh, the Middle East this year and went to a certain place in the Middle East where I found it to be uh, a need for great labor and very few laborers in this place. And so I plan to learn their language, learn their culture and eventually go back to this place and be a minister among these people and a servant to the church there. Well, thank you for your transparency and your honesty and your openness today. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you, Joe. Do you have any uh, questions for me that you'd like to ask? Or Yes. My first question would be, in... How many years now, let's say, first question would be, how many years have you known Christ and followed Him? So I began to follow Christ in 1967. 
1960s. So that's 52 years. And in what ways has Christ become more trustworthy in your life and more seen to be faithful in those 52 years? Well, you know, that's a great question. Because as a Christian man, as a child of God, as one who's repented of sin and put my faith in Christ, you know, you begin to read the scripture and you do it, if you do it right, every day. You do it month in and month out, year in and year out. And so you you go through the scriptures. Now, it was about six years before I really, because I was in a, uh, a cultic church for the first six years, which was not uh, the true church in any way. Um, and I didn't grow during those years. And then after that, I, I got into some sin uh, in my older years, not in my teens anymore. And I couldn't live with that. And so I ran to a place that I thought was a Christian, Christianity, and it was. And they led me to other other churches. Um, but the point here is, uh, you read the scripture and it has little meaning in the beginnings. It seems great. But as you continue to read the scripture and as you continue to search the scripture and as you go through life and you experience life, those scriptures take on deeper and richer meaning. And so the grace of God is right there at the beginning. I mean, oh my goodness, I'm forgiven for all my sin. And you read the word, and for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. There's a gift of God, not of works. So, and that's wonderful. Uh, But as time goes on, and you experience things, and you struggle with sin, and you're tempted, and sometimes you sin, and then you come back and you repent, and that same grace just gets richer and deeper, and and it's not something that I can like even really completely express, you know, to you right now on this podcast, because, you know, well, that would mean that I would be able to communicate to someone and they would just get it, <laughs> you know. It doesn't work that way, which now I'm gonna, you're going to touch on one of my issues that I see where uh, you think as if you're in the classroom, and when you're in the classroom, uh, you're learning something. And in fact, you are. But the, to what depth are you learning it? Are you learning it intellectually and in your heart? Or are you just learning it in your heart, and it takes the Holy Spirit through life's experiences to fully illuminate your heart with that truth. And the scripture I would use there is Peter from uh, Peter's epistle, his letter, he said, uh, you know, we have a more sure word of testimony to which you do, do well to take heed as a light shining in a dark place. And that's a, a handheld lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the day star or the sun rises in your heart. What's he talking about there? And basically what he's saying is you walk through life, you get a scripture, and you it's like a handheld lamp, and all it does is light your feet. And so you see your steps so you don't trip and stumble. But that's about the extent of your light. Everything around you is still in the dark until the day dawns. You have a dawning experience. And bam, that light that's so little... It just lights up your whole being and your thought process and your emotions and your feelings. And 
And now the lights go on and you can see everything in the room. And that's the way learning in this Christian life works. Number one, it takes the Holy Spirit. Number two, or one and two, in different order, the Word. The Word and the Spirit and experience and your your own become now your own thoughts and your own experience and it's a beautiful illumination. I don't is that kind of answering your question? It does. <laughs> okay. Any, Another any question I would have uh, in relation to who Jesus is, what what fears or what anxieties do you still live with knowing that whether you see Christ first in his coming or you go to him that your work is undone or certain tasks have not yet been finished do you have any thoughts of anxiety or fear that weigh you down before seeing him face to face and appearing before him to give an account for your own personal life after 52 years in being his well you really know how to ask a question you know <laughs> So I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You know, there's other scriptures that talk about that we do not shrink away from him in fear, and that we be not ashamed at his coming. There's that two-edged sword, that balance in the scriptures where there is absolute confidence that we are a child of God once we obtain an assurance of salvation. And we could go into a lengthy discussion on that, but I'm not going to do that now. Um, But assurance of salvation is vitally important, and assurance of salvation is that thing that no matter what happens, you know, uh, as in Romans chapter 8, you know, nothing shall separate us from from the love of God that there is in Christ Jesus that Paul was talking about. You know, there there are Christians that don't have that type of assurance, and there are those that do. And I have assurance of salvation, and I know that nothing shall separate me from the love of God. And that love of God um, pushes me on towards Christ with a confidence that when I see Him, that I will be completely loved by Him. Uh, Not sin, not demons, not angels, not principalities or powers, Nothing shall separate me. At the same time, uh, it would take a great deal of dishonesty to not feel the weight of sin that is always at the door ready to strike us down and the diligence that it takes to fight against the world and the flesh and the devil. And that is a constant fight and it takes diligence. And it's not without some losses. And, but I do know that we will be judged one day. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive in our bodies both good, and the word in the Greek is empty. It's not sin. 
I understand, as any mature Christian would, older Christian would, that sin was paid for on the cross of Christ. It's done away with. It's as far as the east is from the west. It's been cast into the depths of the sea. God will remember it no more. Why? Because of the sufferings of Christ. That will not be revisited in my life or any Christian's life. Which is not to say that there aren't things that are empty, pointless, just, I'm not saying that it's never okay to um, enjoy this life. It is. It's time to take relax or, you know, whatever you do to, you know, uh, be blessed by what God gives us in a temporal way. But there is that sense in which we can overemphasize that, prioritize it, idolize it, and turn time into empty space rather than understanding the command, for instance, to go into all the world and make disciples. And there will be a shame attached to that, an emptiness, a loss of rewards, which the Christian really does need to take seriously. And yes, I I face that like everyone else. Everyone does, if they're honest. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian, not this side of heaven. Um, But you do it with, uh, with the understanding that it's not separating me from the love of God, and in the end, God will do what's right. And there's comfort in that, because God is righteous. Who wants to live in a universe where the all-powerful being who's everywhere present and knows everything has any part of him is not good? I mean, I don't want to live in that kind of universe. I would rather face shame at at being empty, even though I'm forgiven uh, in certain areas, than to go into a universe where God in any way was unrighteous. And that's not the case with our God. The God of our God will do what's right and he's a good God and he's a righteous and he's completely so. Is that a good answer? And then last question would be in speaking about who God is as you just did from the word and from your own experience what would you say is the one desire you have in knowing God above all else in your life with the latter years of your life in thinking about 52 years and knowing him and we'll have an eternity to grow in our knowledge of him what is one characteristic or attribute of God that you desire to know above another not that it's greater than but just in your own personal desire to see God express himself in a way where this characteristic or that characteristic is more revealed to you and to your knowledge as you grow in him I don't think I've ever thought about it in those terms before. Yeah, or, or in another way to say, you, you know that God is forgiving. You know he loves you. You know he's righteous and he's just. But in one way or another, a certain characteristic of his that you may want to grow in your knowledge even more of or that you lack the knowledge of. Well, I like the way you're putting it there. Um, I know that when we pass into eternity... You know, even now, if I were to die right now, you know, the, the scripture refers to us to, as the souls of righteous men made perfect. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I've never been able to really accept what men say um, when they talk about, you know, eternality in the future will be unchanging, like we're done. Um I don't 
no, I can't conceptualize the future just like everybody else. But I do know that now we stand on the brink of an ocean that we can't drink in. I don't see that changing. Um, I think there will be complete satisfaction in the future. I think there'll be complete fullness from moment to moment. It won't be like we'll desire, you know, like we do now. There's almost an emptiness and we want more of God. I think all of that is going to change. And at the exact same time, uh, we'll always be drinking in more of God. So from that standpoint, uh, answering your question, you know, what, what would I want to continue to drink in? And I will, we all will. Um, but the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And you know, that name is all-powerful, covenant-making, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. Plurality and unity is the triune God, all involved with this act of creation, and at the same time, making a promise that he would see it through to the end and he would be faithful. Faithfulness. I mean, the one thing I want right now is to be more faithful than I am. I think every Christian should desire to be more faithful because we're not just simply because we're not perfect. We haven't arrived yet. We're headed in the right direction, but we haven't obtained perfection. And the one thing that stands out to me more than anything, because all the others are are just derivatives of this one aspect, which is faithfulness. I mean, no one explains faithfulness more than Christ. The plan, uh, you're my son, today I have begotten you, you know, go and be a priest and be the Lamb of God and be slain for the sins of the world and then I'll sit you up on the right hand, my right hand, and you will rule, you know, for all eternity. And he did that. He was faithful in the beginning. He was faithful in the end. He'll be faithful forever. And so that will be something for us as well. Um, We can't ever give back. We can't ever, ever pay back what Christ has done for us. But we have the hope that for eternity we will be faithful and and faithfully satisfying and pleasing to Christ for all eternity. I mean, that's a great thought because when you sit there in your sin and when you really observe who you are, who you were, and how God is is changing me, he's changing you, he's changing all Christians, and the hope is that, you know, we want to love God sufficiently. Can't do it now, but one day we will, and we will do it that way for all eternity. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I love that subject. <laughs> okay. So at this point, let's say goodbye to our our friends and our listeners. Uh, last word, uh, Ehab. And speaking of faithfulness, we could just think of the last question that Christ proposes to us all, which is when he comes, will he find faith in the earth? Amen, brother. I certainly hope he does. I know he will to some extent. But it is a it is a probing question. And I think that's a great word. Thank you, Ehab. Thank you for your testimony again. Thank, Thank you for your friendship and your you brother, brotherhood for it with you. Uh, love you, brother. I love you too. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll say goodbye for this episode. 
uh, that they might know. And uh, look up the email, write me, let me know what you think about this, and I'll be glad to, to answer. Have a blessed day. Thank you.